Navigate our craft over the large green area. Yes, um, Bob, I think there are a bunch of Earthlings. Beam one up, Nebular. This is an utterly fascinating specimen. Let us try communicating with it. Yes, let us. Take us to your Rico. I said, take us to your Rico. Perhaps if you grab a hold of the sharp object protruding from its skull. Yes, I will attempt that. He smells funny. Very funny. Take us to your Rico. You know, for our weekly dose of sci-fi information and geeky goodness. Maybe we should shake fingers. I don't think it's working. What is this substance, Gebular? I do not know. It is very wet. Yes, very wet. Our tricorder indicates large amounts of calcium in liquid form. Ah, trexinsci-fi.com does a body good. Do they make this in brown? Well, thanks again to the Moyers for that utterly awesome intro there to the podcast. This is Trex and Sci-Fi. I'm your host, Rico, for today's podcast, 147. Oh, my goodness. Coming up close to 150. It is November the 11th, 2007, another early Sunday morning. Get this podcast uh, going. It's uh, about 8.30 here, uh, Eastern Standard Time in Michigan. Not that that makes that much of a difference. Got my Gatorade handy, and uh, it's a little cool out here this morning. Starting to feel a little like wintertime is coming to uh, Michigan. Got a good show for you. We've got some lots of, you know, little news and information about the Star Trek movie like we usually talk about. Going to be looking at the Deep Space Nine episode, The Sword of Kalos. And, you know, that's a fun episode, and it was one I've been wanting to do for a while. So we're going to be looking at that later on. Got a collectible later to talk about, some listener calls, you know, the usual fun stuff. So uh, let's get started. Rico. Rico. Drex and Sci-Fi. Drex and Sci-Fi. Captain, incoming message. A weekly dose of sci-fi and Star Trek information. Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. I know this gift like the back of my hand. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Like I said earlier, I'm Rico, your host for... Your weekly dose of Star Trek news, information from the sci-fi world, Star Wars, and everything kind of in between uh, that all of us geeks like. I uh, hope you're, uh, you know, just uh, in, you know, sitting back, relaxing, maybe driving, listening to the podcast, and uh, well, I think we've got a good show here for you. When I say we, I'd like to uh, clarify. You know, we get a lot of, uh, I get a lot of. Let me get the pronouns right. Is that a pronoun? Yeah, that's a pronoun. 
You know, I get a lot of uh, listener uh, entries, book reviews from the Duffster, work from the Moyers that you've already heard there. Many other people, different intros, uh, Vartok, Dave Kilder, lots of people, Jen, you know, Kenny on the forums, those people. Just lots of uh, great participation from the listeners out there, and I just want to recognize everyone that, you know, sends in audio uh, week after week or even once in a while. I I really appreciate it. And if you've never done that, please do so. You can always send audio to, uh, if you record your own MP3, send it to the email address for the show, treksf at gmail.com, or you can always call the free voicemail line. Well, I guess you got to pay for the call, but if you have a cell phone, that's probably basically free if you're in the U.S. at least, 206-666-127. So we got that out of the way. And uh, one last bit of business related to the show, uh, please check out Podcast Alley, search for Treks and Sci-Fi, and, and give me a vote there. I'd really appreciate it. And also iTunes. Always great if you enjoy the podcast to put up a review over there at iTunes, which seems to be a place that most people download and aggregate all their podcasts via that uh, service. So check it out, and thanks for listening. Got a few things about uh, just in general news about uh, the podcast website, things like that. Uh, I also always like to encourage everyone to check out the Treks in Sci-Fi forums. Just go to treksinsci-fi.com and click on the forum link there. You'll go over, register, and you know get started. We've got a great group of people. New people are jumping in there every day. So take a look. Uh, we've got an RPG game going. We are also starting on the forums here in the next uh, probably week or so. Uh, the first book has been decided, but uh, we're starting a little uh, Treks in Sci-Fi book club going to be reading uh, various uh, sci-fi, I think some maybe some fantasy eventually novels. Uh, the first book up that we're going to read is actually a Star Wars novel called Star Wars a Death Star, and uh, we'll be starting that here shortly in the next week or so, like I said. Uh, and just, uh, you know, it's a place, we've got a separate section for that, it's a place to uh, talk about the book as we sort of read along all together. That's always fun, you know, there's, uh, I don't know about you, I've got a few friends that are into, you know, this kind of thing, but reading books sometimes you're never always in sync with, uh, you know, who's reading what, and this is one way to uh, sort of, you know, catch up maybe a little on some sci-fi that you've been wanting to read give you a little push to get it reading or get it going reading it and uh you know just have some fun talking about it on the forums there it's uh you know we've got uh, the duffster sort of coordinating that who is uh one of our contributing uh members uh has a great site over at uh, readmoresci-fi.com and he's going to uh, help us along uh these uh on this book club adventure so check it out when you get a chance also, along the lines of new things, I, I have that short little, you know, kind of baby offspring mini cast that I'm doing called Attic of My Mind, which can be found at atticofmymind.com. Just put up show number three uh, that I recorded on my birthday a few days ago. So uh, check that out. You know, this is just a short little, uh, somebody on the uh, forums called it an ad hoc podcast. I like that, that, you know, it's just, I'm doing it with some, uh, portable equipment so I can do it on the go. They're going to be short, probably 10 minutes or less most of the time. And just things that are going on with me at the time, not especially sci-fi related, although that might slip in occasionally. Uh, Thoughts about uh, different things in life and and just, uh, you know, it'll be a lot of fun, I think, to continue this. Probably about once a week, it's going to be coming out. So check that out over at atticofmymind.com. 
Hi, this is Len from Jawbone Radio, and whenever I need the latest Star Trek or sci-fi news, I listen to my friend Rick on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Hey, do you think he's going to be talking about Wookiees? Because I love Wookiees. Okay, let's get into talking about the Star Trek movie, which, again, is still, uh, from what I know, is just being called Star Trek. Not Star Trek the movie, not Star Trek the motion picture, not Star Trek Eleven with any kind of subtitle. At least right now, it's just simply being called Star Trek, which I kind of like. And especially since this is supposed to be a, a very early in the Star Trek history type of movie, you know, in terms of the time setting that for the film primarily set in the early days of the Federation. Well, not really the early days of the Federation, but the uh, early days of Kirk and Spock and McCoy and everyone. The uh, casting news. Now we're, uh, you know, this this movie has got a ton of cast in it, not just uh, the main crew, of course. They've recast all the original series uh, actors and, in, in, you know, you know all the Spock, Kirk, and so forth, down to uh, Uhura, Chekhov, and everyone we've talked about before. But uh, the parents are starting to get cast for the different characters. For example, Winona Ryder has been cast as Amanda Grayson, of course, who is or who was, I don't know the right way to say that, um, Spock's mother. She'll, she'll be playing Amanda Spock's mother, which it leads me to uh, wonder a little bit. You know, they've got this, uh, you know, Zachary Quinto who plays Siler on uh, Heroes is playing uh, Spock in the movie, and Winona Ryder is playing his mother. Now, I don't know about you, but... She's not that much older, I don't think, than Zachary Quinto in real life. Of course, Vulcans age a little differently and all that, but I'm really having a hard time figuring out how they're putting all this together in the time frames and things like that. I, I, If I had to guess right there, I would say that we would see her, either she's going to be made up to look older or this is going to be shown or Spock's going to be shown it with like maybe as a child and, and they'll be showing him on Vulcan, perhaps something like that. I don't know. But anyway, she's being cast or has been cast as Amanda for the movie. Bruce Greenwood, uh, who's a very cool actor. He shows up in a lot of different TV shows, movies, did a very cool TV show a few years ago that I really liked called Nowhere Man. Which, which was a really interesting show, did a great job on that. He used to be on a show that I watched years ago called Saint Elsewhere. He's, uh, Bruce Greenwood is playing Captain Pike, who, of course, was one of the previous commanders or captains of the USS Enterprise uh, prior to Captain Kirk. So that uh, sounds like a fairly critical role there. From what I'm reading, he won't be showing up. They have started filming the, the movie. He won't be uh, needed on set for a couple of weeks yet. But he's had some costume fittings and that kind of thing. And the little bit, speaking of the costumes, there have been some pictures. If you go over to the awesome website, trekmovie.com, he's got a link up. Uh, There have been some uh, sightings on the movie set of the people, mostly extras, sort of in costume in a way. They were all wearing these long hooded trench coats. They looked like, uh, gosh, I don't know, they looked like Jedi Knights or something like that. But that wasn't their costume. Uh, don't get confused. They had they all had these very uh, uniform trench coats on with hoods to hide themselves, hide the the look of the uniforms for the film and all of that. Uh, you can catch uh, just small glimpses of color from the different uniforms underneath. Most of these people are extras. They got these shots of, but you get to see some of the typical sort of primary colors. 
you know, red, yellow, blue, green. Uh, those aren't all primary colors, but the, you know, the classic uh, Star Trek colors that were used in the original series seem to be sort of being used for the new uniforms. You only catch little bits of it, and it's uh, the the colors seem a little more muted, not quite as bright. Of course. For television, you know, one of the reasons uh, they did such bright colors in the early days of Star Trek on on color TV was that color TV was a bit of a new thing, a bit of a novelty. And for a sci-fi show, they wanted to make it very bright and vibrant. You know, that was one of the things. Plus, it was the 60s, and uh, bright colors were kind of in. So, But anyway, they've got these photos up. Again, they don't really show a lot. You wouldn't be really spoiled by seeing them. It's just a bunch of people in trench coats. But you do catch little glimpses of, like I said, these these colors for the uniforms, which is pretty cool, I think. And back on the uh, casting news front, uh, this is uh, this one's not really confirmed yet that I know of. But uh, the actress Jennifer Morrison, who plays on, uh, she plays Cameron on that cool uh, Doctor TV show called House on Fox. She has supposedly been uh, cast in the movie, and maybe will be playing uh, Kirk's uh, mother perhaps, or or some other character, but that's really, really unconfirmed, so we'll have to wait and see what happens along those lines. Uh, I think uh, that'd be kind of cool. They've really got, you know, even for what appears to be probably some fairly small roles in this film, they're grabbing some uh, fairly popular and uh, I would I would call them hot actors, actresses, and stuff like that, hot in terms of popular and, and really in the public eye you know jj abrams i think does a great job but at casting uh, i really thought he did a great job in casting the tv show alias which was just a dynamite tv series uh, especially in the few years or, or sorry the first years it was on kind of dwindled later in in the, la- the later years but anyway he you know in lost the same thing you know he really does a good job at casting and I, i'm really getting excited i think i'm using that word really too much again i gotta watch that anyway he is he it's got, uh, I think, a great cast assembled for this film, so we'll keep watching it. And I, I think I said last week on the podcast there is this rumor going around that there may be a teaser trailer at some point in the next few months for the Star Trek movie, so we'll be looking forward to that. You know, they can only keep these uniforms and everything under wraps for uh, for so long. And, and the funny thing about all that is simply that, you know, Star Trek is a 41-year-old franchise now, so, I, I mean... Honestly, how much are they going to change things in terms of the look of the show? Of course, they're going to put their own spin on it, but it's still got a kind of adhere to certain, uh, you know, certain things that they've done in the past. You know, some gold braid on the sleeve, certain colors for the uniforms, and so forth. So, I don't think they're going to keep this hidden for too long, especially with all the paparazzi around out in uh, Hollywood land. So, we'll keep our eyes uh, peeled on the internet for more information. The last thing on the uh, Star Trek front, uh, uh, well, actually, a couple uh, last things about Star Trek that I wanted to pass on. This coming week, uh, the 13th and 15th of November, don't forget, there's probably still time. They're going to be doing that movie screening, you know, on the big screen at movie theaters uh, around the United States. I think some in Canada as well of uh, the two-part of the menagerie with that extra 30 minutes of behind-the-scenes stuff. So, Check that out. Uh, there are links on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums, and I'm sure you can find it if you go over to StarTrek.com for you to buy tickets online for that cool movie event in Star Trek uh, history, or soon-to-be history. Also, uh, I picked up uh, one of the latest Star Trek comics that was out, Star Trek's 
doing this series of comics based on a different alien series. They did a Klingon one. Uh, this one's about Vulcans. Basically, it's about Spock and his early days aboard the Enterprise under Captain Pike. I think this is one of the best of the new Star Trek series or new Star Trek series of comics that they've put out. The artwork is really nice. The story was good, and it really had a nice feel to it, a kind of a retro feel a little because it's set in the days of Pike and Spock aboard the Enterprise. Uh, I urge everyone, if you're into comics and like Trek, to pick it up. On Christmas Day, open hailing frequencies with the latest chapter in science fiction audio drama. Star Trek The Continuing Mission beams off the World Wide Web and into your MP3 player with all new adventures from the 24th century with an all-new captain. I'm Captain Paul Edwards of the Federation Starship Montana. You are ordered to stand down your attack and prepare to be boarded. Featuring an all-new starship and an all-new crew. Security Officer Plummer. Energizing defense fields, bringing weapons online. Chief Engineer McGuire. Captain, I can't keep a stationary at anything less than Warp 1. Science Officer Natukov. The Romulan warship has been disabled, Captain, but there is an energy buildup like nothing I've ever seen. Communications Officer Knight. It seems the Klingons are jamming our communications. Only, the jamming modulation isn't of Klingon standards, sir. Chief Medical Officer Kyle Wilson. Now if you'd excuse me, Captain, I have to finish briefing the trauma teams. And Ace Helm Officer Susan Palmer. Three minutes from standard orbit, Captain. As they boldly go where no crew has gone before. Star Trek, the continuing mission. Available for download only at continuingmission.com. I hope you enjoyed that uh, little uh, preview there for Star Trek The Continuing Mission. It's, uh, you know, that audio drama that uh, the friend of the sh- this podcast and my friend uh, Sebastian Pruth and his partner there, Andy Tyrer, that they are working on this new audio Star Trek drama called Star Trek The Continuing Mission. So I'd urge everyone uh, to be checking that out. I think the first episode, like they say in the promo there, is due out uh, on Christmas Day. And you can see more and learn more about that project over at ContinuingMission.com. Well, I uh, forgot to say earlier, I wanted to say this earlier on, when we were talking about the podcast in general and other news uh, and things going on with it. Uh, I am uh, going to be doing a video podcast for Big Show 150, which I'm going to be doing and creating that over Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States at least which will be the weekend of uh, November 24th, 25th. The show should come out on the 25th, uh, the Sunday that weekend. And I'm looking for video from everyone that listens to the show or as many people as that can send it in. Something uh, a couple minutes or less, uh, you know, doing something, you know, something just sitting down, saying hi to the people listening and watching the podcast, uh, what you like about the show, perhaps what are some of your favorites in trek and and sci-fi whatever you'd like to do basically uh as long as it's rated pg or less <laughs> anyway uh send those in you can always send the uh, the video or audio to trek sf at gmail.com like i said i'm going to in- integrate those into the video podcast for that weekend's uh, special video event for show number 150 and try to get them in uh sometime you know, not the very end of that weekend. The earlier, the better. I think I set a deadline before of uh, that Friday, which is November 23rd. So please try to get those in by then. Thanks. 
<laughs> a few things uh, uh, Star Wars related, at least Star Wars collecting related. Uh, one, uh, I was at a Radio Shack uh, a couple of a few days ago and saw that uh, build your own lightsaber that Master Replicas is producing and is available at Radio Shacks around uh, around the country. And I'm not sure if you can get it online. I think you can get it on for, online for maybe from secondary retailers. Anyway, I saw this piece, and I was kind of excited about this. This is the thing that splits into three parts, basically, three different hilt pieces. You can assemble them in different combinations, and you create your own little uh, Force FX-style lightsaber. But I have to say, uh, for the same price as a normal Force FX lightsaber, I was kind of disappointed in what I saw. Uh, this, uh, you know, Force FX lightsabers have become better and, and nicer and more sophisticated and, and just, just more awesome over the years that they've come out. The first ones were not very nice. You know, they were a little more plasticky and things like that. And now they've moved themselves up to... Almost uh, uh, an equal-looking hilt to to some of the normal limited edition lightsabers that Master Replicas. Anyway, they're metal. Uh, they have a nice look of weight and feel to them, and the blades are good and all that stuff. So uh, this piece, though, all these pieces that you interlock to make your own hilt are plastic. They kind of fit loosely together, and the blade for this piece is much smaller than the normal Force FX lightsabers. It's shorter and a little more narrow, more about the size of the uh the blade that was in the Force FX Yoda lightsaber, you know, scaled smaller for Yoda. But uh, so I, I, I'm probably not going to get this thing. I'm a little disappointed that it was like this. I'm glad I saw it before I bought it. You know, other people may like it. Check it out. I, you know, I'd say if you're at all interested in this item, if you're going to order it online, I would definitely go check it out at a Radio Shack first. So just a little word of warning on the collecting front for Star Wars. It also looks like Star Wars Shop over at StarWarsShop.com, uh, I believe is the URL, on uh, November 23rd, which is that Black Friday, you know, the big holiday, start of the holiday shopping season for a lot of people. The Friday after Thanksgiving is having 20, 20% off everything. So check it out uh, if you want to buy some Star Wars items to give as gifts or maybe just to give to yourself. One other uh, thing that I noticed over at StarWars.com in the hyperspace section, they're doing these uh, web strip archives, which are basically newspaper strips, uh, Star Wars newspaper strips that have been done, a uh, different series of them over the years, black and white, uh, basically, things that would run in a newspaper uh, along with, you know, Sally Forth and all the other comics in there, Peanuts and things or whatever. I, I'm not much of a newspaper comics reader, but I have seen some of these before. Uh, some of the different series are called The Power Gem, Ice World, uh, Re- The Return of Ben Kenobi, The Night Beast. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of them here, and if you're a Hyperspace member, you should check them out if you haven't seen these uh, cool newspaper Star Wars strips before. Okay, I'm going to take a, uh, a short break and play one more of those B-movie uh, trailers for you that I've done in the past. Uh, this is from a movie a lot of you have probably heard about before, maybe seen, uh, and uh, the, it's only about a minute and a half long, I think, or a little less than that, uh, this little bit of the trailer. So I'll play this for you, and then we're going to come back and get into the Deep Space Nine episode for this week, The Sword of Kalos. So I'll be right back after this B-movie look. What was it? Science didn't know, but dedicated scientists were willing to risk their lives to find out. This lungfish, the bridge between fish and the land animal. This one was a failure. It hasn't changed in millions of years. But here, 
Here we have a clue to an answer. Starring Richard Carlson, grimly adventuring underwater in the depths of the mighty Amazon. Lovely Julia Adams, her beauty allure even to the man-beast from the dawn of time. With Richard Denning, whose scientific passion turned to the fury of revenge. You'll see the most amazing underwater photography that the screen has ever known. In this strangest of all science fiction adventure. Four men dead so far. We're staying until we get... Or until somebody else gets killed. Yes, that was from uh, the classic uh, film from 1954, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Very classic uh, monster movie from the 50s in in the realm of sci-fi, you know, in the history of uh, cinema. Uh, Something that they did a lot of sequels to and uh, some interesting background, a lot about that movie, you know, that the... uh, I think if I remember correctly, one of the guys that was in that suit for the creature was some kind of an Olympic-level uh, swimmer that they got to do it. I'm not a super expert on that, but I think I've heard that before. Anyway, I'm sure you can learn more uh, online about Creature from the Black Lagoon and maybe rent it sometime if you'd like to take a look, if you never have. Okay, let's get into this week's Star Trek episodes, commentary and discussion. Uh, this is going to be a... a sh- episode look with uh, clips not a full audio commentary got about i think about nine clips to play uh the episode is from deep space nine season four the sword of calis uh it was uh first shown back in 1995 this is production order number 481 so it's show 81 in the series the story is by a guy named richard danis uh teleplay by hands Hans Beamler, uh, he's written uh, quite a few Deep Space Nine episodes or scripts for them. And this is an episode directed by LeVar Burton, of course, Geordi from TNG. So, the Sword of... This, <laughs> excuse me, everyone. The Sword of Kalis. Now, of course, this is a big Worf Klingon episode, for those that recall it. Uh, this is the episode where Kor, who was first seen back in the original series episode... Errand of Mercy, uh, played by the great actor John Kalikos. Kalikos? I can never say his last name right. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, he plays the uh, Klingon, uh, you know, the ancient Klingon warrior core in this episode, The Sword of Kalis. And it is a good uh, tour de force for him to play. And also for uh, Michael Dorn, who playing Worf in here in Deep Space Nine. You know, Michael Dorn came into uh, Deep Space Nine uh, I think this was the first season for him, full season. And this uh, this was probably the, at the point in time where they really started to use Worf in the episodes. Before then, uh, he hadn't really been planned to be in Deep Space Nine. In some of the scripts, basically, he was there, but he wasn't really super active and didn't really, you know, wasn't making a real difference or a, a real dent in the episodes. But this one, the sort of Kalis, he is taking center stage here along with Kor and Dax is also in this episode quite a bit. So it's a great episode for the Klingon fans. Now, the basic idea here is, is that Kalis was this, you know, revered ancient Klingon warrior from, you know, generations past. And the sword, the Batleth that he used in battle and gave him almost uh, 
super Klingon. I was almost going to say superhuman, but super Klingon abilities and strength and and got the Klingon people united behind him has sort of a mystical kind of holy grail quality to it. And it has been, though, lost uh, for generations. Uh, There was a... uh, a race of beings, and I'll have to look it up. I think they're called the Hork or something like that. Some kind of weird, bad alien name, I think, in this episode. Uh, it could have come up with something a little better maybe that, than that. Anyway, these these aliens in, in the past had raided the Klingon homeworld, and the sword was one of the uh, treasures that they ran off with, and it had been lost and, and hadn't been seen for, for, for many years. And Kor gets some information that leads him on this sort of basically this is a quest type episode where Dax, Worf, and Korg set off to find the Sword of Kalis. So that's your basic premise and everything. I'm going to uh, get us going on the clips and play a uh, early one. This is at the very beginning of the episode where Kor is in Worf's, or Worf, excuse me, uh, the Quark's bar. Yeah, I was going to say Worf's bar on Deep Space Nine, and Quark's bar. And he's telling us tale of, you know, great adventures from his past. So listen to this clip. Skin so parched and blistered, it was it was as thick as armor. Kang and Koloff and I had set out with 40 legions. And now only we three remain to take on Tanakh's army. Chanting a battle. You know what I like about Klingon stories, Commander? Nothing. Lots of people die. And nobody makes any profit. one hand, his battle in the other. I saw him kill two dozen men. Give me a word for this. Snaking along rivers of lava past walls of fire, not very likely. Three against an army, even more unlikely. Yeah, but who cares? He tells it well. Kang took the high ground. And keeping the three sons to his back, he forced the enemy to fight him against the blinding light. When Kang told the story, you took the high ground. Who gets the credit is of no importance. What matters is this. In the end, the mountainside was covered with dead so that not one square meter of ground could be seen. Yeah, John uh, Calicos, Calicos, I got to just settle on a way to say that. John is playing core there, does really gets into the role. He does a great job here. If you remember, there was another episode of Deep Space Nine that I uh, I looked at. Uh, ah, the title is Escaping Re. It was the one where they all went off to avenge everyone. Uh, Koloth, Kor, and Kang, and Dax. Uh, I think I did that uh, well, several months ago. Anyway, this is sort of a follow-up a little bit into the, you know, in, to that uh, to a degree. It shows the relationship that Dax has with Kor and the Klingons in general, and I think why she's eventually hooks up with Worf and is attracted to him. Uh, but a good scene there. I was thinking about something as I was collecting clips for this. You know, this episode turns into just pretty much the the Worf and Dax story with Korra along as well, and the other actors and the other characters are not really seen for the rest of the uh, episode, except at the beginning there, and there's a clip coming up here where they go to talk to uh, Cisco. And I was wondering, you know, I'm not an expert on the way Hollywood works and the way actors are paid for TV and episodes, but I was thinking that they all kind of had a little bit of a line there at the beginning. Most of the regulars, you know, Miles and, and Jed Z, well, Jed Z is in the rest, but Quark, Kira, Julian, you know, Odo, all the rest of the uh, the regular characters, they get their little line in and then they kind of go off. So I wonder if they just get, you know, they have to do a line for the episode in order to get paid for it. Uh, although there are episodes where you don't see them at all, uh, you know, on occasion. So 
Uh, I'm not sure how that exactly works. Not that it's a big deal, but I just thought it was kind of curious how that that was a slick little way of core in the bar there for everyone to have a little little line to throw in, but you don't really see him for the rest of the episode. Okay, the next clip here isn't really that long after that last one. This is uh, where Core meets up. Uh, Dax introduces Core to Worf, and they discuss this quest that they want to, or that Core wants to go on. So listen to this one. I'd like you to meet our strategic operations officer, Commander Worf. Ah, Worf, the traitor, the pariah, the lowest of the low. Pleasure to meet you. Any enemy of Gowron and the High Council is a friend of mine. This is a great honor. Oh, no doubt. Worf is a great admirer of yours. Huh? Yes, please. <laughs> I have heard stories about you since I was a child. Your confrontation with Kirk on Arganea, <laughs> your attack on Romulus, your defense of the karma pass everything i have done pales in comparison to what i am about to achieve i am on a quest a quest for the most revered icon in klingon history core an icon that predates the klingon empire an icon more sacred than the torch of gabok core more revered than sabak's armor and more coveted than the Emperor's crown. The sword of Kalos. You told me not to tell anybody. He guessed. I know where the sword rests. Think of the glory, the honor of finding the battle of the first warrior king. Yeah, keep keep in mind the, the time frame that's going on right here, the... Uh... The relationship between Worf and his people, you know, he's been an outcast. I did that episode, uh, Sins of Our Father, of the Father, uh, from uh, TNG. And, you know, that was where Worf uh, took the fall, kind of, for things that his father didn't do. And the Klingons shunned him, tossed him out of basically their society. And so he's this pariah, and for Kor to accept him because he's not really a big fan of Galran and and the high council of the Klingons right now. And, you know, Kor was always a bit of a rebel anyway, even in the episode Errand of Mercy. But uh, this this is really a good episode for him. The other thing that's going on at this point in time uh, is that the relationship between the Klingon Empire and the Federation is a little bit strained. They've been having issues and problems. And so that leads them to think that if they could, uh, the Federation, Federation officers, Dax and Worf, could help retrieve this sword it could help uh, the relationship between the klingons and the federation so they use that uh in their next uh this next clip here where they go to talk to uh, captain cisco about uh you know kind of running off in this little quest uh this little holy grail kind of mission uh for uh sort of knights and and you know trying to find this sort of kayla so listen to this the gamma quadrant a Vulcan geological survey team was mining Bacrinium on an uncharted planet when they accidentally unearthed some ancient ruins. They brought back several artifacts to study, including the cloth. Kor was the Klingon ambassador to Vulcan. When he saw the cloth, Kor recognized the markings and got them to give it to him as a gift. They didn't realize it, but the markings were Herc. Herc? 
That's the Klingon word for outsiders, isn't it? Yes. The Herc invaded our homeworld over 1,000 years ago. Whatever they could not pillage, they destroyed. They took the sword, and my people have been searching for it ever since. It is said its return will bring back a new era of glory for the Klingon Empire. With the sword, the Emperor will be able to unite my people once again. And if two Starfleet officers were involved in recovering the sword, that might go a long way toward patching things up between the Klingons and us. That is my hope as well, Captain. What about you, old man? You want to go along for the adventure? Hard to pass up a good quest. I suppose you'll want to run about. The, uh, Rio Grande is available. Try to bring it back in one piece. We'll do our best. And nice scene there. It's always good. The relationship between Dax and Cisco, of course, since Dax, uh, or excuse me, you know, the symbiote Dax knew uh, Cisco in a previous uh, host and all that. It, it's it's always good to see the two of them working together, and Worf uh, fits in real well there. Uh, you know, going off on this big quest with Kor is a bit of a long shot. I don't think Cisco really thinks they're going to find anything, but, you know, We'll see how it works out, and nothing, no harm, kind of, uh, he thinks, at least, in trying. So, yeah, that's, um, you know, it was the Herc? Herc? <laughs> I think that was the group again. Uh, I don't know. There's a weird name there that they came up with, I think, for these invaders for uh, of the of the Klingon homeworld that took the uh, sword away. So, uh, anyway. Uh, and then, of course, they run off. They run off to the uh, Gamma Quadrant. Uh, they get to this planet that they've uh, been. This map has led them to, and they find this chamber. the The chamber, though, at first looks like it's been pillaged. They don't have a lot. Uh, they don't find a lot there. But there is a secret, sort of hidden chamber beyond that that they find. This is sort of a little bit of an Indiana Jones thing, where they go through this wall that's not really there. It's a holographic projection. Uh, with a force field that they deactivate. And, of course, inside, they find the sword. I cannot believe it. For a thousand years, our people have dreamed of this moment. The age, the composition, the design, everything's right. How can you doubt it? Look at it. Beautiful than I imagined. I know you should be the first to hold it. How does it feel? Good. Very, very good. To think Kalis himself once held this battle. With this, he slew Molar, conquered the Vicary, and forged the first empire. And now I hold it in my hands. Yeah, the uh, the prop, the sword prop there for the, the sword of Kalis, the Batleth, the legendary artifact uh, is very cool looking. Uh, it's uh, you know the, the the various Batleths and knives, knives, excuse me, knives, <laughs> knives, and you know, these sword like things, these Batleths that the Klingons use. 
very cool things. I've always wanted to have a, some type of a Batleth prop in my collection of collectibles, but I've never been able to really find one, uh, at least that I thought was good. I think I've seen a few on eBay occasionally. Hey, if anyone listening to the podcast knows a good source for a nice, cool Klingon Batleth, uh, not that I want to swing around and go to you know into battles with, but just something to kind of hang on the wall. I'd be interested. Send me an email about that. You hear the music in that scene when the the sword is being lofted up by Core uh, and Worf. Uh, very Wagnerian, I think, and just kind of epic sounding. Uh, as a composer for this episode, David Bell, uh, he I guess uh, had very uh, good ideas to use this very operatic kind of music for that uh, time and you know the Klingons are very uh, you know honor bound and very sort of almost uh, mystical I guess you could call it and, and, and just a lot of uh, you know they have that they've always talked about in different Trek episodes about Klingon opera and you know they have that Wagnerian kind of quality to them and I think that fits into this well you heard towards the end of that clip though what of the uh, you know, the, the struggle, not really struggle, but uh, how Worf became sort of overwhelmed by holding that sword in his hands. And that's kind of the key thing to this episode. This sword is sort of, it's not really anything special. However, these guys and the Klingons revere it so much that they they make it special. And it creates this controversy as the episode goes on between Kor and Worf on who will hold it, uh, you know, what they'll do with it. Will they turn it into the Klingon Empire? Will they keep it for themselves? And so forth. It becomes uh, they become a little crazed because of it. And the important point for the storyline, at least, was that the sword itself uh, didn't really cause that. It was the just the image of it in their minds, and you know how much they wanted it and coveted it that really started to change them. But there wasn't anything really going on either through something scientific, uh, you know, like the sword was made out of some weird metal that you know made Klingons go crazy or anything like that. It wasn't anything like that at all. Just the sword itself uh, did that with you know their impressions and and feel for what it meant to hold that in their hands. Okay, the next clip uh, they run into some other Klingons, of course, here and uh, who want the sword for themselves. So I'm going to play this for you uh, right now. We need to stop the bleeding. We better get you up to the ship, Dexter Rio Grande. That is a Klingon jamming signal. Can we override it? Maybe from the surface. Kor, go make sure no one's following us. Uh, did you see the look on the face of that Klingon that I killed? It was as if he understood the honor bestowed upon him. The first man in a thousand years to be killed by the sword of Talus. I'm sure he was very proud. We should keep moving. Terrell will find a way past the force field. Yeah, so that, that clip was right after they, they ran into the Klingons and they had a fight. Worf gets hurt. They they get they managed to get away through this series of caves. They're not able to beam out because of this jamming signal, so they have to uh, spend most of the rest of the episode working their way out of these caves to find an exit. You can hear Kor is still being sort of overwhelmed by the power of holding this sword in his hands again. And, you know, it's sort of like Excalibur in a way. This uh, the the power this has over the Klingons in the episode, the you know the other thing too is Worf is hurt there. Dax is trying to hold him you know together a little bit and patch him up, but you know he got a shoulder cut from one of the Klingons. So, but he's Worf, you know, so it's like, hey, you know, I'm a tough Klingon. It doesn't bother me that much. Um, next clip is between this one's between Dax and Worf a little bit later on. 
they're talking about what uh, War feels is his destiny. So, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's that's the next clip after this one. This is just Warf and Dax talking about the situation and the sword and all that. So listen to this. He never answered my question about his plans for the sword. I noticed. He is a hero to many. If he brings it back with him to Kronos and decides to seize power, many will follow him. But you wouldn't. He is not all I thought he was. Maybe not. Sorry. But I've known him a long time, and his heart's in the right place. He drinks too much. He exaggerates his feats. He blames others for his own mistakes. But he could be right about one thing. The Emperor may be too weak to stand against Gauron, even with a sword. I thought you believed in the Emperor. I do not know what I believe anymore. All I know is when Korra asked me to help him find the sword, I knew we would succeed. I knew we would find it. can't say I felt the same way. I had no doubt. I felt as if my life was finally coming into focus. What do you mean? For as long as I can remember, I have always been an outsider. I was raised by humans, but I was too Klingon to be one of them. Yeah, you get a little more uh, insight into Worf there. You know, he's always, that happened a little on TNG as well. He's always been a bit of an outsider, always kind of like Spock. You know, he was he was uh, saved by a Starfleet officer from the Romulan attack, Worf was, and raised by humans back, uh, the Kershenkos, I think is how you say their name, his foster parents, and, you know, always a bit of an outsider, living among humans, a Klingon. Same thing with Spock, uh and not so much living with humans, but being a half a breed, you know, being half human, half Vulcan, and then eventually serving in Starfleet uh, as a bit of an oddity. So some good parallels there. And, and again, you hear the uh, in that clip this um, situation where both of the Klingons, Kor and Worf, both want to possess this sword and the problems that's causing. Now we'll get to the clip about Worf talking about his destiny, which is, uh, I believe this was uh, just shortly after that last clip that you heard. So listen in. When I first set eyes on the great domes of Kronos, I felt that I had finally come home. But my own cousins wanted nothing to do with me. You were too human to be one of them. I ran away into the mountains. I was without food or water for three days. But there, in the caves of Nomad, Kalis appeared to me in a vision and told me I would do something no other Klingon had ever done. After I returned to Earth, I pondered the meaning of his words and wondered what lay ahead for me. When I was old enough, I joined Starfleet. Something no Klingon had ever done. For a time, I thought that I had fulfilled my destiny. But now I see Kalis had something else in mind for me. Something... something greater. That is why I had to endure so much pain. Why I was forced to choose between the Federation and my own people. I was being tested. Prepared for some some greater purpose. Like finding the sword. More than that. When I held the sword in my hand, I felt the spirit of Kalis himself had guided me to it. Don't you see? He wants me to have it. He wants me to lead his people. You sound like Kor. Kor is an old man. His greatest days are behind him. 
I want to say here, uh, one of the cool things I think about this episode is how much uh, Dax, uh, played by Terry Farrell, can kind of stand up and go toe-to-toe with, uh, you know, these two big Klingon guys, these two actors, uh, you know, uh, John Calicos, who's, you know, this really great actor from, you know, done lots of uh, movie, television plays over the years, and Michael Dorn's uh, just an imposing guy, you know, stature-wise and everything, but, and Terry Farrell is this, you know, fairly... Uh, you know, smaller, attractive, although she's actually fairly tall. I think she's like 5'10 or something like that. But anyway, uh, LeVar Burton and some of the stuff I was reading, uh, getting some background for the podcast about this, uh, really wanted her to, to go all out both physically and, uh, and kind of mental, emotionally, and to really go toe-to-toe with both of these guys in this, to put them in their place, basically. And uh, what they did was they came up with this term, uh, for her for the episode calling her action barbie because of all the action she was getting and of course her her you know looks more like a you know barbie doll than an action figure like you'd see little boys play with anyway i thought that was kind of a fun little tidbit to pass on to you a couple clips left uh you know there's this constant struggle in this episode between core and wharf uh, you know no i i want the sword no i want the sword no give it to me give it to me you know i'll hold it uh, I'll pull you up off this cliff that you're hanging from. All that kind of stuff uh, happens between them. And, you know, one of them's holding it, then the other one's holding it. And eventually, Dax takes control of it uh, because neither really can be trusted with it. And it's it's basically just greed is, is what it comes down to. They just, they both want it so badly. And then there's a fight uh, towards the end of the episode where Worf and uh, Kor are fighting over this, uh, possessing the Sword of Kayla. So listen to this. You call that a ledge? Would have been sufficient. For a Degebian mountain goat, not a Klingon warrior. You were going to let me fall. You wanted me to die. So you can keep the sword for yourself. And you were willing to take the sword to your death and rob our people of their future. Give it to me! That's enough, both of you. I will not give him the sword. Then give it to me. I'll carry it. Core, put away your dagger. Are you siding with him? Put away your dagger so he can give me the batleth. Yeah, good good clip there. Again, like I said, Terry Farrell does a great job being able to stand up to both of these guys in this episode. And you know, the sets that they used, that this is the the cave set. Uh, I think it's on uh, stage 18 uh on the on the lot. You know, they use these caves for a variety of episodes in Trek and in, in Deep Space Nine quite a bit, and, and it's tricky to really make them look like they're moving around. You know, these caves don't go on for miles and miles like they try to make them look like it in the episode. But the, the director of photography and LeVar Burton, I think, does do a good job with this in making a, a, a relatively small series of, of tunnels and caves appear to be a lot more than it is. The last clip, they get off to the planet. You know, they get away eventually. They run into the Klingons. They turn that jamming signal off, and they get back up to the Rio Grande and uh, are heading back to Deep Space Nine. But Core uh, and Worf and, I guess, Dax, they don't really show it, but they all agree that this sword is just, it, it's too much. The Klingons aren't ready for it. It drove Worf and Core to, you know, almost try to kill each other on the planet. And they were afraid that this would cause a lot more trouble in the Klingon Empire than it would create good, that it would divide the Empire even further. So 
Their solution? Beam the sword into space, of course. So <laughs> not just put it in a vault somewhere or something like that. No, no, let's beam it out into space. Well, you know, it kind of was dramatic, I thought. It, it reminded me a little bit about um, the last Indiana Jones movie, at least the last one that's been out uh you know, the the Last Crusade, where there's that scene with Indy and his father, and, you know, it's let let the grail go, let the cup go, they don't need it, and, uh, you know, it's more important to just, you know, get Indy out of that spot and, and just let it go. It's not, you know, it's, it's too much. People aren't really ready for that, and the same thing, the Klingons aren't really ready for this sort of Kalos. So listen to this last clip, and I'll come back and, and wrap up my look at the episode. Are you sure of this, Wolf? Yes. Yes, it is the only way. Do we have the right? This sword belongs to all Klingons. But are we ready for it? This sword turned you and me against each other. Imagine how it would divide the Empire. Just let me hold it one last time. The sword is not meant for us! It was never our destiny to find it. You're wrong. It was our destiny to find it. It just wasn't our destiny. To keep it. I hope you're right. It could be lost for another thousand years. When it is destined to be found, it will be. Uh, week's look at uh, Star Trek episode, Deep Space Nine episode, The Sword of Kalos. A lot of fun. Uh, you know, something a little out of the ordinary for them. It didn't follow into uh, the overall arcs and things that were going on at this point. Uh, you know, some of the background and, and problems with the Klingons and, and war and things coming. But anyway, uh, a great episode, a good shining example of how war starts to really work into Deep Space Nine and, and things that are going on there, and it starts to show uh, a connection, I think, to a little bit between Dax and Worf. And, of course, having John Colicos uh, back as core is always a treat and, you know, really great uh, job by him in this episode. So that's it for uh, Trek uh, Look and Episode Commentary by me this week. Uh, we will now take a short break. Instead of a uh, father and son review from the Moyers, we have something a little different. This is a review of a movie that they saw. Uh, I got this clip actually about a week ago. Uh, it's a review by the Moyers of uh, the Martian Child movie that's out with uh, John Kuzak. So listen to this uh, clip, and I will be back with a look at a collectible. Hi, this is Rick. And this is Catherine. And this is, is the, the Father, father and, and Daughter Review. review. Well, Catherine, we just got back. We went to the movies on Friday for your mom's birthday, and we saw a show called Martian, Martian Child. What did you think of the movie? It was very funny and stuff like that. Yeah? 
What was your favorite part about it? Um, probably when he taught his dad um, a dance. The Martian dance. Yeah, that was pretty fun, wasn't it? There were a lot of great things in the movie. We we went thinking it would be more a little more science fiction than it was, but it kind of was kind of cool because the dad was a science fiction author, and he wrote a big book, and then uh, he wanted some more fulfillment in his life than just being a writer, and he wanted to adopt a child. And we won't spoil it for everybody. That's kind of the premise of the movie, but uh, they go through a series of things, and it's quite. Um, touching and funny and I, got, I actually cried at one part I won't say what part it was you remember the part that I cried at? Mm-mm. you don't remember? that really sad part remember the sad part? well anyway there was a sad part in it but there was a lot of really fun parts in it too and I think it was a story about relationships and a story about meaning more in life than just going through what you like but actually having responsibility and doing something worthwhile what do you think? Um, say exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. So how many stars would you give it uh, out of five stars, five being the best? How many stars would you give this movie, Martian Child? Almost five. Almost five? I'll give it a three and a half because it wasn't as science fiction-y as I wanted, but it was a good movie. It was. I, I recommend it to everybody. How about you? Yeah, me too. I like less science fiction than you do, though. So. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, this is Rick. And this is Catherine. And this has been the Father Father and Daughter Daughter Review. Review. Well, thanks very much, uh, Rick and Catherine, for that review of Martian Child. Yeah, that looks like a great uh, movie to take uh, your family to see. Uh, I really like John Cusack. John does a great job in that stuff and has got a a good, I think, uh, rapport with kids. And I've seen him in a few things uh, like that. So I'll have to check that out sometime. Okay, moving on to this uh, collectible review. I don't have a Batleth, so I was kind of looking around trying to figure out what to review collectible-wise this week. And since they're doing another Indiana Jones movie, and, uh, I, well, I've got a, a an Indiana Jones sword, actually. If you remember uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, near uh, the later part of that movie, he ends up with this uh, short sword, kind of a thuggy, I think, uh, weapon, and he uses it to uh, to cut the rope on that bridge, and uh, and he uses it in a few different places in the movie. Anyway, this is a uh, a sword from that, a replica sword of that Indiana Jones sword used from the Temple of Doom. I got this a few years ago. I think it first came out around 1997. Uh, it is uh, a one-to-one scale replica of that sword. It's got a few little differences uh on the handle, there is, or not on the handle, on the blade, uh, the sword's probably about 18 inches long, uh, the blade itself, and, and maybe another 5 or 6 inches for the handle of it. It's uh, a stainless steel thing, but they've got uh, Indiana Jones sort of like signature on the blade itself and kind of a logo also on the blade, which is kind of cool looking. It's got a, a, a fairly sharp edge to it. It's made by a United Cutlery. Again, like I said, it came out in 1997, and it comes with this nice uh, sort of wooden, uh, well, not sort of wooden, it's a wooden wall plaque with uh, a nice little uh, inset uh, metal plaque on it uh, that says Indiana Jones, and it has sort of a little scene from each of the three movies on that plaque from all of uh, the ones they've done so far. Uh, again, this is it's got a good weight to it, it's metal, uh, obviously this is not the kind of collectible to give little kids or anything like that. 
But I do have a few different swords and knives in my collection from different movies and TV things that I've seen. I think they're mostly from movies. Although I do have that uh, Klingon uh, small knife. I do have that one that I've reviewed before. But this is a cool piece, and I've been thinking a lot about Indiana Jones lately with the new film being worked on and coming out uh, next May uh, in 2008. I'm uh, really looking forward to that. That just uh, <laughs> I just can't wait for that. I, I think it's been way too long since another Indiana Jones movie came out. I can understand why they wanted to wait uh, to a degree, and I can understand for a while there I think they just decided they did the three, they were great, and they wanted to just stop at that. But you can't, uh, to me, have too much Indiana Jones. So uh, this sword, I, I think I got it off of eBay, I believe. might have got it off of somebody, a friend, on the replica prop forum, but I'm not really sure. It didn't go for a huge amount when it first came out, and usually you can still find them on eBay on occasion if you search for, like, Indiana Jones Sword. Make sure, though, I think there are some knockoffs and things about this, so uh, make sure you get one that's actually still uh, was made by uh, United Cutlery. I think there were also a couple different versions of it. There may have been just the sword only where you didn't get the wall plaque, as well but uh, i think it's cool to have both uh and it's a good way to display it it's kind of up out of the way that way and it's fairly safe depending on how high you put it up and if you've got kids but like i said not thing not a thing to have around if you've got especially little kids in your family mine are a little older you know one's high school one's college now so i don't need to worry about it i don't think they've got uh any urges to run around the neighborhood with a sword in their hand. So anyway, but uh, this is a cool piece, and Indiana Jones replicas are are kind of nice to have as sort of a different thing and not as sci-fi and Trek and Star Wars oriented. So that's the review for uh, this week's collectible. I'll have some photos up in the collection gallery, which I'm still continuing to update, uh, but I will have pictures of the sword and Indiana Jones replicas up in that after uh, I finish up this podcast. Okay, folks, that is going to wrap up this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Uh, Again, you can always email me with questions or comments at treksf at gmail.com. Always great to hear from you and and send an audio comment. That always is great uh, review of a TV show or a movie. Uh, And uh, one last kind of comment about the industry. Uh, It's kind of sad that this writer's strike is happening I know uh, it's it's looking right now like this TV season is really going to be cut short. A lot of different shows, new shows, old shows, are going to not have their normal uh, full episode run. Some things like uh, the mid-season shows like 24 and Battlestar Galactica may not even come on this season at all and lost. Who knows what's going to happen? And along those lines, and talking about sci-fi on TV and movies, next weekend's show is going to be a Skype call. I'm going to be recording that next Saturday, November 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with uh, various people, friends of the show, and the typical uh, people that we've had on in previous Skype calls, forum members primarily. But if you're somebody who isn't even a forum member and you'd like to participate, uh, let me know. Send me an email, and uh, I'd love to have some new uh, people and new voices on the Skype call next weekend on Saturday. I will be recording, and Sunday the show will come out. Uh, Just to give you a little heads up again in the future, probably going to get a midweek show in either this week or next week so that uh, the Thanksgiving weekend show will be 150, show 150. But this was Podcast 147. I am Rico, your host, and time to get out of here, edit this thing up, finish my laundry, and enjoy the rest of my Sunday. So everyone, take care, and I will talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye for now.
This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.